Hello and welcome to an equity shot. My name is Alex Wilhelm. I have Danny Crichton on the phone. Danny, how are you? I'm doing all right, Alex. How are you today? Uh, better than Google, who has been sued by the DOJ and 11 state AGs over anti-competitive behavior. Now, Danny, we have known for a long time that this was coming. It, it was presaged, I think, rather heavily. I have had a chance to dig into the actual filing. I have many, many opinions, but just to kind of set the ground here for people that are tuning in and are unsure of why we've reached this moment, why Google and uh, why now? Well, it did take me a little bit of time to find the filing. I was using Bing. And after a while, I gave up and used Google, which may be part of the problem. But um, let, let's let's boil it down. So, you know, obviously, big tech has gotten really, really large over the last decade. There's been increasing concerns about all the big tech companies, everything from Facebook to Apple to Google and, and onwards and onwards. One of the angles that uh, the government is trying to take on, on sort of regulating these companies is around antitrust. So in the United States, the major antitrust act is the Sherman Act. That's yep. what the DOJ filed under this morning under Section 2. It's particularly focused on search and particularly search advertising. And so, you know, one of the things on the conference call with journalists this morning that the WDAG was talking about is, you know, obviously there's a lot of concerns about social media bias. There's a lot of concerns about anti-competitive practices around Android and Chrome and a bunch of other issues all around tech. This lawsuit from the DOJ is only focused on search and particularly search advertising. And the reason and that, that sort of comes out of some of the theories out of Yale and some other law schools which have focused on Google's consolidation of the ad market over the, the aughts and the teens, so its acquisition of DoubleClick and a bunch of other ad tech companies over the years. So, so they've launched this lawsuit. They have 11 AGs. All those AGs were GOP AGs, yep. and uh, it's filed this morning. Yeah, and I, I want to uh, point out that this is all about focused on search, search access in, in some way more than I expected. The circular benefits that Google gets with scale. As Google has more data coming into it via usage, it can improve its products and therefore it's better than everyone else. And so the question is, how does Google maintain all of this market share? And in my read of, of, the, of the lawsuit, some of the points were pretty good, some were bad. So I think that there's a key paragraph that I wanted to bring to us and everyone listening that I pulled out from the filing. This is from deeper into it. So if you go just read the first 10 pages, you won't see it, but it's a good summation. So if you'll excuse my terrible reading voice, here we go. Uh, here's the DOJ's uh, opinion about all this stuff. Google has unlawfully maintained its monopolies by implementing and enforcing a series of exclusionary agreements with distributors over at least the last decade. Particularly when taken together, Google's exclusionary agreements have denied rivals, search rivals, access to the most important distribution channels. In fact, Google's exclusionary contracts cover almost 60% of U.S. search queries via things like its Android device agreements, I'd add. Almost half of the remaining searches are funneled through properties owned and operated directly by Google. So essentially, this boils down to Google has used commercial relationships to essentially force other companies, specifically device manufacturers, to pre-install Google software and give Google search preeminence. Google then gives manufacturers often a cut of some revenue back to make it look like a transaction. But in reality, if you want to run Android, you have to use Google on your phone or you can't get access to anything that you need. And then therefore you become a search partner and the consumer gets Google kind of pre-installed and pre-defaulted. Danny, my, my issue with this is, a pre-default or a preset default is not a death sentence. And this DOJ filing kind of treats a preset default as the end of the conversation for that consumer. So if consumers were just more active in picking what they wanted to use, there wouldn't be as much of an issue here. So I'm curious about your view on the relative strengths of the different DOJ arguments as you've read them. Yeah, I mean, to me, what's nuts here is to think back to US v. Microsoft, you know, what, two decades ago? Yep. It, it, when it was, you know, a landmark antitrust case, particularly in tech, but even just generally, and it was focused on defaults of browsers with Internet Explorer on Windows. Yes. And 20 yes. years forward, we're still talking about default search engines now instead of browsers. 
but through browsers. It's not even about the browser today, but basically what search engine is in the bar. Uh, I, I think that this is an interesting angle. Again, I think the advertising piece is much more critical. In the advertising market, Google is very dominant, and its network effects is very, very strong. And those network effects only exist because Google owns a fully vertically integrated sort of ad operation, right? No one can really join in any part of the tier. No. You know, they can't do tracking, they can't do analytics because Google owns the whole stack. And so to me, that has always been the strongest part. The, the browsers are tricky, right? So so Google does pay Apple, for instance, billions of sure. dollars to be in Safari and particularly mobile Safari. It pays Mozilla uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, to be the default search engine in Mozilla. Uh, and that's one of the largest revenue sources for the foundation and the company. You know, Google's argument has always been consumers have choice. In fact, Bing.com is is less characters than Google.com. It takes less work to get to Bing.com, as crazy as it sounds. But the reality is that it has this victory in search for a reason. It's because they own so many different components. They have, you know, excerpts from different sites that are built around it. They have technologies that... You know, even here at TechCrunch, we have that, that integrate with Google search to ensure that our articles are, are given priority in those search engines. So we can't yep. just ignore Google entirely. No. And so I think I think the argument is fairly decent. Now, the, the, the challenge here is that there's so many different angles. There's so many lawsuits. The Democratic AGs have their own lawsuit underway, and they've said they're going to continue to do that separately from the DOJ. Congress is looking into Section 230, which affects more Facebook, but also potentially Google as yep. a uh, sort of open harbor. I'm forgetting the term now. You, you probably safe harbor. This. Safe harbor. It's not an open go. harbor. It's a safe well, harbor. I think safe harbors would have an open component, else they'd be a lake. <laughs> exactly. The pond. Yes, yeah, a safe pond. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so there's all these different angles. Uh, I, I think this. what's interesting is the timing. Obviously, the, the WAG and his staff this morning were really emphasizing this was sort of the right time. He said that was after 16 months of investigatory work on the antitrust division happened to be exactly yeah. two weeks before a major U.S. election. There you go. The reality is, is this has been a discussion at the DOJ for a decade. So, you know, it is obviously uh, particularly well-timed. The reality is they've been doing this work since the Obama years and possibly even to the Bush years as well. Yeah, I mean, the fact this is dropping two weeks before the election, there have been a string of articles about how different prosecutors at the DOJ have been uncomfortable with how rushed this was. And I think reading this, you can see some of the flaws. This is essentially, I think everyone agrees, a political timing, and therefore it is a, a incomplete document, and therefore I don't think it's going to do much long term. Just to bring in a little bit more context about the Android stuff, if you, let's say you wanted to found a, a device company and sell phones and pre-install Android and sell them to consumers, I mean, it's going to be Android, and that's pretty much the only option you have in the US because you can't license iOS, of course. You can't just take the open source Android software and have it work like an Android phone that you buy today from a store. You have to come to a number of agreements with Google, and that's how they get their stuff preloaded and so forth. And, and, and to me, that argument is relatively compelling. Using their OS monopoly outside of iOS uh, for other ODMs to force a Google prominence, it just it gets weak on the, the pre-save the pre defaults, but I, I, I can see something there that, that rings true with me. I think it's absolutely fascinating. So, uh, you know, in, in the actual complaint, it describes the fact that Apple is a closed ecosystem, which, which strangely does not trigger an antitrust concern because, you know, Apple is not actually leveraging its position to try to control the market. It just has a part of the market, right? It has a right. product it offers to consumers, whereas Android, because it license, is held to this higher standard because in order to get the full kind of benefits yep. of the Google license, you have to follow all these dictates. So it's amazing to me that like the openness actually leads to like a higher standard when we're, in reality, Android is a much more open ecosystem. You can do all kinds of different things. Obviously, Huawei has done things with its honor line of smartphones. Um, we saw Carl Pei leaving OnePlus, but they've done a lot of interesting things with Android over the years. Comes uh, down to just, market share. Yeah, 
It comes right, down I mean, to market like, share. Yeah. Um, and ironically, you know, it's actually the second largest mobile phone operator, which again, the, in the complaint, they note that Apple has more market share of the mobile phone ecosystem in terms of in terms of this like category that they're identifying, which is not the entire mobile phone ecosystem. They said that Apple has 60% and, and Android has 40% of the complaint. So like, it's it just one of those things where to me, it, the argument is hard, right? To fully accept um, that you're actually going after the folks who try to make it a little bit more open. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I vibe with all of that. It's important to keep in mind that the relative market shares of Android and iOS around the world, they're not even close. They're so not the, even close. The, if you're listening to this in the US and you walk down the street and you see three iPhones and three Android devices, you think, hey, about 50-50. It's like Florida in the election. Not true. Go somewhere else. Well, after COVID. Once COVID's over, go somewhere else and look at the phones and you'll see a, a pretty staggering lean in the Android direction, which is why this has some teeth to it. Now, Danny, let's put aside the, the big tech side of this. And talk about what this means for startups, our usual bread and butter. I, I have one idea, which is that if Google was cleaved into many parts, and I'm not saying it will be, a more uh, self-combating Google, I think, would open up more fronts for startups to take on certain problems that are not traditionally done because Google wouldn't be as efficient in killing off competition in those areas, like general search, for example. Bit of a long shot, but that's my take. I'm curious what you see out there for the smaller tech companies that are watching this and uh, kind of curious what's going to happen to them. I, I think it's hugely important for, for opening up some of these markets to startup innovation. There's, there's no way to build a browser today that competes. We've, we've talked a little bit about the browser company Brave, uh, yep. Neva here in New York, which are trying to use Chrome. It's ultimately Chromium, but there's skins on top of Chromium. There's a really opportunity though in search. No one has a search company. No one tries to compete in search. Search has huge barriers to entry. It's very expensive, obviously, to search the entire web. It's very expensive in terms of infrastructure. It, it just requires a lot of money. And obviously, with a monopoly player like Google in place, it's it's really hard to sort of compete. So to me, it's a huge opportunity that if this does get broken up, or more likely, there'll be structural adjustments with search to open it up in a way that allows more people to compete at various segments, right? So in the ad market, you'll see more segments opening up that says, hey, you got to allow plug and play for analytics, or you have to allow plug and play for identification or, or verification. That to me is where it gets really, really interesting, because suddenly, like the ad tech market, which hasn't had any VC funding in frankly, like, what, a decade? I can't remember. I talked to someone who does ad tech, and I was like, you're a unique unicorn. You know that? No one does ad tech anymore. That suddenly becomes an open market, right? That actually becomes a place you can do innovation, you can actually fund stuff, people can actually make money, potentially be acquired. I think think that gets, you know, that last point, though, uh, the acquisition, that's the hardest part here, which is the more there's antitrust focus on the big tech companies, the more you have to ask whether M&A is going to get trickier and trickier for companies long term. You know, will those exit values exist? Could you sell LinkedIn to Microsoft for, you know, what was it, 25 billion bucks? Uh, That to me is the big question. And if you can't get the exit values, then the startup ecosystem doesn't work. Right. So there's a a double-edged sword here. On one hand, breaking the stuff up could allow for a startup to better fight Google at different kind of slices of its current world. On the other hand, it would also make it harder for startups to sell. I mean, we see maybe smaller deals uh, and lower prices. I I think it's better to trade openness and competition for, you know, M&A values. People want IPOs. They don't want to sell it to Google for 50 million, right? So like, I, I, I hear you less concerned about it, but I think we should stop here. There's a lot of, a lot happening. We will have to talk more about this as time goes along. We don't know if anything's going to happen here at all. This could all just be a political stunt that goes nowhere, but you are now informed about Google and the DOJ. We're back Thursday afternoon with the whole equity crew. See you then. 